Shalom. I remember that day. Best day of my life. Fantastic day. Almost missed it because of lack of courage. I'm so glad I had a spurt of encouragement, of, of courage, and I didn't miss it. Hello, my name is Bartimaeus, and I'm glad to be with you today. I used to be in great despair, great despair. See, I had had sight, and then I lost it. And in my time in history, you don't get your sight back. There's no CNI dogs or glasses. You just lose your sight. And I was, it wasn't going to come back. And so no one would hire me. The military didn't want me. The fishermen didn't want me. The carpenters didn't want me. The vine dressers didn't want me. Here's what a blind person did. They sat on the road and they waited for generous people to come by. And maybe the generous person might give an old discarded piece of clothing. Or maybe they would give a piece of bread. Or on a good day, maybe some generous person walked by and drops a little bit of money. And so that was, that was my life. I, I, have a, I have a theory that blind people hear better and listen more than sighted people. I'm not sure about that, but I used to listen a lot. And then one day I'm sitting on the road and I heard that a man by the name of Jesus was going to come down this road. He wasn't far away. Now, as I said, I listen. And I have been listening. And over the last couple of years, I'd heard about this man, Jesus. He had he had a great teaching ministry, and people loved to listen to him teach, but he, he also would heal people. There's a man with a withered hand that he healed, another guy, a cripple. He healed lots of people. In fact, everybody would come from miles around from the heel just not that long ago up in Bethany, not far from where I'm at, maybe an eight-hour walk. He, there was a guy by the name of Lazarus that died, and days later, Jesus brought him back to life. That's how incredible this Jesus was. Um, Good story, but my favorite of Jesus was about four months ago when Jesus was up in Jerusalem and there's a man that was born blind and Jesus met him and when he walked away, the man had sight. Yeah, it's my favorite. So now I'm sitting on the side of the road in total despair, I'm sad, it's not gonna get any better, but then all of a sudden somebody said, Jesus is coming right here through Jericho and he's on this trail, this road, and, I, and he's about to walk by me. So I listened, like I do. And when I, he got close, I realized he was within hearing distance of me. And I'm not remembering what Jesus was doing. I couldn't see, but maybe he was telling one of those stories that he liked to tell that people love to hear, you know, about maybe a, a farmer went out to plant seed and some seed fell on good soil and other seed fell on other soils. And anyway, and, and, and whatever Jesus was doing right in the middle of it, I go, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. I, I think the people in front of me jumped out of their socks. They were, or sandals. They were, <laughs> wow. And, but then they got mad and they turned to me. We're trying to watch Jesus. Would you shut up? I wouldn't. I got louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And I kept yelling and yelling. And, and at some point, Jesus stopped. I'm still yelling, and he says, bring that man to me. And the crowd flip-flopped. You know how crowds can flip-flop? You know, they were mad at me, and all of a sudden, they're like, the master wants to talk to you. Go. He wants to. And so I jumped up, threw my outside coat off, 
And I go to Jesus, they bring me to him. I really hope I'm facing him and he's not over here, but I'm, I'm addressing him and, and Jesus says these words. What do you want me to do for you? I knew in a moment, I want to regain my sight. That's what I said. And Jesus replied, go. That was a little discouraging just at first, but then he said, your faith has made you well. Instantly, my eyes were opened. My eyes were opened. And I'm staring into the face of Jesus, and he is so compassionate, just showing his compassion to me. And everything changed for me that day. And I started following Jesus. It's a big day for me. I'm glad I didn't miss it. I'm glad I didn't lack courage that day and just let him pass by on the road. But I yelled out, and I didn't miss that day. Hello, my name's Bill Winton. I'm the middle school youth pastor. And they invited me to speak in our weekend services, so that's what you get. <laughs> you got to meet Bar blind Bartimaeus. That's what I would do down in the junior high building. Let's look in our scriptures at our passage today where I got our story in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. So open your scriptures. Meet me there, right in Mark 10, 46. And we'll read. If you don't have your scriptures with you, we're going to have it on the screen. And you can follow along up there. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began following him on the road. Let me give you a little background. Bartimaeus was, had sight, lost his sight through an accident, through a disease, we don't know, but he's without sight, and then he meets Jesus, and Jesus heals him. Uh, and then Bartimaeus ended up following Jesus, and uh, I think... Uh, that how do this is an important story because Bartimaeus is named. We've seen lots of healings since we've been studying the book of Mark. No one that's been healed has been given a name. Do we know their name? Not one. But Bartimaeus, we do. I have a, belief, I have a feeling 
that Bartimaeus started following Jesus at this point and stayed following Jesus. And I imagine that when Bartimaeus left and followed Jesus, they went up the road to Jericho, I mean Jerusalem, and then they, they had their triumphal entry and maybe Bartimaeus was actually part of that. Remember all the crowds were going crazy and excited because, well, it's mentioned, I think, in Luke about Lazarus. But I bet Bartimaeus was, here's a man, his sight has been given back to him and everybody's praising him. And, and you know, this is just like two days later, the triumphal entry. But then, if, Bartima, if my speculation's right and he follows, I wonder what the next week was like when the crowd flip-flops and then they crucify Jesus. I think he stayed strong. It's not hard for me to imagine that he's in the 120 in the book of Acts that are waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. Because some point, if you remember, how did we get the book of Mark? Well, Jesus had disciples. One of them was Peter. Jesus went away, but he said, make disciples. Peter had disciples. He's doing what Jesus said. One of them was Mark. Mark went with them everywhere he went. And Peter told stories about his time with Jesus. And Mark probably heard him hundreds of times. At one point, Mark says, I'm going to put him in a book. And he writes the gospel of Mark under the inspiration of scripture. And he mentions Bartimaeus by name. I'm just assuming that they intersected afterwards. And maybe Bartimaeus was part of the church. I believe he stayed as a believer. We'll see more about that. Let me tell you about Jericho. There was two Jerichos. One was the one that was in the Old Testament that Joshua walked around and walls fell down and it survived for a long time. But at this point in the time of Jesus, it was in ruins. And then Herod came, King Herod, the one that sent and killed the babies in Bethlehem, fantastic leader, awful leader. At the same time, uh, he's just got more stories than anybody as far as, at one point he heard that Greece wasn't going to hold the Olympics, so he wrote a check. Yeah, we'll have the Olympics, I'll pay for them. And then one caveat is, I get to compete in them. So he went and competed in the Olympics. But he built things all over Israel. I got the privilege of being in Israel back in October with my wife. Jericho was in ruins. He decided he wanted a summer home. So he built a summer home and palace a mile away and called that Jericho. And so we believe that uh, Bartimaeus is in between. Now, what else about Jericho? Well, if my friend Matt Blythe took his airplane and flew right over the palm trees of Jericho, he would be all right. However, if he looked at his altimeter, he might panic for a second because he would be below where most submarines go. Jericho is 800 feet below sea level. And so it's a unique place. It was thrilling to be there in Jericho. Jerusalem is an eight-hour walk up, and it's 2,000 feet up, so it's almost 3,000 feet difference. And so this is a little bit about Jericho. Um, when I was there, there's a road, a, a trail, that goes from Jerusalem to Jericho called the Wadi Kelt. And they took us on our tour. When we were there, we just did, we did like a 10-day study just on the life of Jesus when we were in Israel. And so they took us one day because this road is so important. Jesus might have walked it a hundred times because every year, good Jews go to Jerusalem three times a year. It's about 70 miles away from Nazareth and Galilee. So just imagine if Doug said, hey, next week, bring your walking shoes. We're walking to Ocala as a church, you know, that's what they did three times a year, 70 miles there, spend three or four days for a feast and 70 miles back. And so 
Jesus has done this trail maybe up to 100 times in his life. And then on this trail, they took us and we did the last four miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now it's like the Grand Canyon, it's a trail. I have a little video, would you like to see it? All right, let's watch this video of Denise and I and our team of youth pastors going on this trail. You can see it's edge of a cliff, don't fall off. And this is where, this, this was my favorite part of being in Israel the whole time, by far. I wish I could go spend days on that trail because it's untouched. It's, this is how Jesus had it. Everything else has been changed or moved or new walls or everything. But man, this, the trail, it's where Jesus is. There's rocks he sat on and stuff. So I loved it. Um, have another picture of uh, our team where we're walking on this trail. And then we came around a corner and there's a, a V in the rocks and we're gonna walk there. But if you look in the V, that's Jericho. And then I zoomed in a little bit. And so there you can see a better picture of Jericho. That's where we walked to. Funny story on this trail. There's no trees, there's no bushes. We're walking, I'm about 20 feet away from the rest of the team. I hear something above me and just slightly pause and something fell right in front of me. So I look down, see what fell and it is an Israeli viper. The most venomous snake in Israel. This is what Jesus referred to when he called the Pharisees a den of vipers. This is what he's talking about. And this was, he was a booger. He, he was aggressive. He chased me because I wanted to get a picture. So I'm trying to take, and he comes at me. So I move over there and he comes and wherever I'm going, he's chasing me. He's after me. So this is uh, one of the big memories from that, story, from that trail. But um, the disciples and Jesus are walking to Jerusalem. They're stopping in Jerusalem. When they're going, Jesus has said, when we get to Jerusalem, they're going to persecute me. And then they're going to kill me. And then I'm going to come back to life. So that's where they're headed. The disciples aren't hearing Jesus and so they're going. Now, why is our story, Bartimaeus, so important? Well, they're stopping in our town of Jericho. Two things happened during this visit to Jericho, his last visit. One, he heals Bartimaeus. Two, as he's going through town, perhaps the same day, he looks up in a tree. And there's a man there, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, you come down, and then Zacchaeus becomes a believer. So this is two stories that happen. Why are these important? Jesus is in his life, again, we studied in Israel just the life of Jesus. He has all these different ministries. He has a teaching ministry. The crowds loved it. He, he had a healing ministry, a, um, a discipling ministry. He had to go to the cross ministry. He had all these different ministries but in this moment in time, Jesus finishes his healing ministry. This story is it. In all the gospels, this is the last healing, except when Peter whacks a guy's ear off, Jesus, on the night of the crucifixion, Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on. But he's been doing healings 
by the dozens, maybe by the hundreds. And all of a sudden, this is, this is the last recorded one in all the Gospels. So his healing ministry ends, his, this, and he's only got a week before the cross, or maybe 10 days. So he's camp, camping on, I got to finish up this discipleship. I got to get the guys in order because I'm about to leave. So he's doing that, has some prominent teaching that happens during this next week, and getting ready for the cross. So the healing ministry ends, but also his evangelism ministry, personal evangelism ministry ends. He's been doing evangelism and people have been coming and followed Christ since day one. But when he gets to Jericho, Bartimaeus starts following him and Zacchaeus follows him, but we don't have any more anymore in the rest of the gospels, except when Jesus is on the cross, the thief on the cross becomes a believer and then one of the centurions. But all that week, we don't have recorded that people were coming and starting to follow Jesus. It's like he finished his personal evangelism ministry right here in Jericho. So important story that we're looking at with Bartimaeus as far as the timeline of Jesus. Last healings, last converts. These ministries are ending, so he's doing his other ones. Now, this, that's my daughter, Anna. It's when she was younger. She just graduated from high school. Okay, this is just a week and a half ago. This is another picture of her, okay, when she was real little. Just just perfect for that second. Um, (laughs) When she was two, no, I remember when these chairs were first purchased. I've been here over 18 and a half years. No, 18 and a half years I've been here. I remember when we got these chairs for the D building, Oh, it's great. The truck loaded. He came. We unloaded them. We had all these brand new chairs. Such excitement. And uh, they've been, they're not doing so well now. Um, but I remember when Anna was like two, we had our junior high room in that building. And we used these chairs. I was having a leader meeting. And all of a sudden, somebody said, hey, look at Anna. It might have been Denise that said that. But anyway, Anna had taken her head and gone through here. And then her shoulders and her chest, and somehow she's in the middle of this, and she is stuck. And, and Denise, Bill, save her! And and so I'm pulling and pushing, and I'm like, her legs are going to come off, or I, I don't know what to do. And, and and finally, just ripped the whole thing apart. First chair to go, the dumpster, and Anna was saved, but she was stuck. Just for a few seconds, and we were panicked. I have a friend, Tim, redheaded Tim. He was across the hall from me in, at Columbia International University on Memorial 3, and he was fun. I used to have him come to my youth group and speak to our youth groups, but he, what was unique about Tim was he was a missionary kid, and he was born in Erie and Jaya. And they have different rules for raising teenagers and what they can and can't do. And so Tim... Would, had a good friend that was a native, and when school let out, and they couldn't wait for school to let out, they're on this huge island. They talked their parents, and they would go camping. He and his friend, until summer was over. See you later. We're going camping. We'll be back in eight or ten weeks when school's about to start. Don't be late. 
You know, school's going to start. Just so different for a 15, 16-year-old. And they would get their little backpacks, and they'd put some batteries and flashlights, and, get, and they would make me matches, and they would, they would get some rope, he said, and string, and a knife, and a little bag of rice, enough for one meal. And then they'd go out on the island and have adventure, big-time adventure. The first day was committed to making bows and arrows because they're going to have to eat, and so they're going to shoot pigs the whole time they're out for these weeks. And so they'd make bows and arrows, and then they would shoot pigs, and they'd eat the pigs or eat vegetation that's in the island, the fruit and stuff. But that, it would just be an incredible adventure for them. One day, they're in the middle of this camping trip, and they climb a mountain way out near Injaya, and they find a cave. Well, two 16-year-old boys, you find a cave. What do you have to do? You have to explore it, right? This is adventure. So they go in that cave, and they get in, and they shine their lights, and there's a turn. Now, if you're in a cave, and there's a turn, and you're a 16-year-old boy, what do you have to do? You got to explore what's behind that turn. So they do that. And then there's another turn, and they explore after that. And then another one. And they went way back into this mountain. And all of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of pots and pans. And what happened during World War II when all the bombings were going, home, going on, the natives knew about this cave. And they would go take stuff and go live there until the war was over. And when the war was over, they sort of left their remnants and went back and built their, rebuilt their villages. So they see all the pots and pans and neat stuff from World War II. But then... Beyond the pots and pans was another turn. Well, if you're a 16-year-old boy and there's a turn in a cave after the pots and pans, what do you have to do? You have to explore it. So they went and explored more turns and more turns. And do you know, they went a mile or so into this mountain. And then all of a sudden it opened up. And he said it was like the size of several gymnasiums. Huge room in the middle of the inside of this mountain. And all over were caves, tunnels. So what are 16-year-old boys supposed to do? You got to go explore them. So they were having the time of their life, and they're exploring this one and this one and this one. And you know what happened. They got lost. Where is the original trail? No one's coming to look for them for many weeks. Three days later, they are still inside this mountain and they have no idea what's the right trail, but they've been exploring and searching as diligently as they can. And then the last of their batteries went out and matches. And they have no access to light. Gives me the heebie-jeebies. You cannot see your hand. It is pitch black. You think you hear Gollum. (laughs) What do you do? It's the only thing you can do. Feel the wall and keep going. Three hours later, the Lord let them see a little sunlight. And they escaped that mountain. But three days plus three hours of pitch black. They were stuck. I mean, they were stuck. 
No one's coming. And then my friend Ken was a youth pastor, and he also ran the radio station at Charlotte for CIU, a Christian radio station. And he, we used to talk. He came and spoke at our youth group. But he was stuck one time. But let me tell you about how he was stuck. He was in a family with his mom and his dad, but his dad was a drunk, and his dad was an angry junk, drunk, and his dad was an angry, violent drunk. And more times than you can count, he came home and beat his wife, Ken's mother, to a pulp. And Ken was living in a violent family. And he was stuck. And as a middle schooler, he had no thoughts that this life is going to get any better. And as a middle schooler, one day... He heard his dad pulling in, zipping into the parking space outside the trailer and coming in and shutting the slam in the car door and bursting up the stairs and he knew he was drunk again. And when he's drunk, he's angry. And when he's angry, he's violent. And Ken went and got the family shotgun and he went and positioned himself in the hallway in front of his mother's door and his dad burst in and his dad was bug-eyed and he says, get out of my way. And Ken said, Daddy, you can't beat my mommy anymore. I won't let you. You've got to stop. Which made Dad all the more angry. And he bellowed and he charged. And Ken pulled the trigger and killed his daddy. And Ken was stuck in a family that was awful and violent and angry. He was stuck. If you're stuck, where does that lead you? It leads to despair. You get stuck. You stay there, middle of a mountain, middle of a family with awful violence. It leads to despair. So what is despair? Despair is the complete loss or absence of hope. There's no hope. Despair is, it's a feeling of not being able to improve a situation. That's what despair is. You might want to write these down. Complete loss or absence of hope. It's a feeling of not being able to improve a situation. In our story today, this is Bartimaeus. He has had sight. Now he doesn't. People don't get healed of blindness. Never happened in all of history that we know of, except for the guy up in Jerusalem. But... In general, blind people don't get healed back in that time. At the end of the story, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus, in his despair, was, had great clarity. It didn't take him forever to think, what do I want Jesus to do for me? Hey, you got a C&I dog? Hey, you got glasses? Do you, 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 you know, he knew what he wanted. I want to regain my sight. Great clarity. Right out of his mouth, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, go, your faith has made you well. So, what made him well, according to the words of Jesus? His faith. So, we ought to talk about faith for a moment. This is crucial to this lesson. Okay? Faith. Faith is putting your trust in an object or person that will work for you. Faith is putting your trust in an object or person that will work for you. I have 
a 12-year-old son named Eric. He's in our junior high. Just suppose he came home from the bus stop one day and he's just bouncing and he's got this big smile on his face and he comes and he plops down on the couch. He's not interested in playing Fortnite. He's just looking at the ceiling. He's really happy. So his brothers and sisters come. Eric, Eric, what's up? What? No, we can tell something's different. What's up? I'm in love. (laughs) Romance has hit you? Yes, yes. I am in love. Oh. It's going to be about one or two seconds later for his sister, Anna, goes, with who? And he would look at her, just imagine in this scenario, and go, hmm, who are you in love with? I'm not in love with someone. I'm just in love. What? You have romantic feelings? Yeah, yeah. You're in love? Yeah. Who is it? I'm not in love with someone. I'm just in love. I have romance. We would think he was. Crazy. Why? Because if you're in love, you have to be in love with someone, with an object. Okay? Same thing with hate. I'm so mad. Oh, I'm mad. Who are you mad at? I'm not mad at anybody. I'm just mad. What? You know, love needs an object. Hate needs an object. Faith needs an object. So many times in our culture, faith doesn't need an object if you watch the current media. Hey, let's just all hold hands and have faith. Come on, look constipated, ready, here we go. You know, and, and, and yeah, I remember in the old days growing up, you just had to clap your hands and have faith and Tinkerbell come back to life. You know, just you needed faith. You just, faith in what? You don't need faith in anything. Hey, it's not gonna rain today. Why not? Because I have faith. Faith in what? I just have faith. If you have enough faith, it won't rain. That's dumb. That's like being in love, but not with a person. You know? You, you have to have something that you have faith in. So putting your tr- faith needs an object. And then faith oh, is, needs to be expressed. Okay? Uh, I'm going to come back to this verse in just a second. But you can look at it. Faith needs to be expressed. Um, faith and believing are not synonyms. Get that? I thought it was. No, Believing is you mentally go, this chair will hold me. Faith is expressing your belief. You guys are expressing faith right now, every one of you, in your chair. Okay? Now, Gabe is over here, and Gabe is learning to fly airplanes. He actually believes that he can, an airplane can take him up and bring him down. However, right this minute... We have evidence he doesn't express faith in airplanes because he's not in an airplane right now. He's in a chair. Later this week, he might express faith in an airplane, but not right now, okay? Faith needs to be expressed. Next thing you need to know about faith. Faith needs an object. Faith needs to be expressed. Also, God loves when his children walk in faith. Let me tell you something about Bill Winton. Bill Winton loves red meat, Oh, my word. We only do it four or five times a year. But birthday or something, we have ribeye, 
Mm, cook them on the grill. Here's what Bill Winton does. Rub my hand together. My mouth does a little puppet mouth. I can't wait. And that's how God is when his children walk in faith. Faith pleases God. Here we have Hebrews 11, 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes, thank Bartimaeus for this. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God. So Bartimaeus believes and that he is a rewarder of those who seek. Did Bartimaeus get rewarded? Hey, he got his sight back. But he had to express faith. Faith and believing are not the same thing. Faith needs an object. Faith pleases God. One more thing on this. Frequency of expressing faith matters to God. Expressing faith in God once a week is better than expressing faith in God once a month. I'm sure we have these people in our auditorium. Expressing faith in God once a day is better than expressing faith in God once a week. Expressing faith in God five times a day is better than expressing God, faith in God once a week. Expressing faith in God dozens of times a day is better than expressing faith in God five times a day. Do you see the pattern? More is better. Now, if everybody in here collaborated and you all tonight brought me ribeye and said, eat up and don't leave until you finish. Oh my, I, I, you know, after one or two, whew, stop, you know, but God isn't that way with us expressing faith. He's like, it's all you can eat. Keep going. He, he loves it. You can do hundreds of times of expressing faith a day and every single one he's going, yes, yes. Hmm. He's excited about it. Okay. So from our story, how does someone express faith? Bartimaeus hears stories about Jesus. He's heard them in his blindness and he believes. Yeah. Jesus has been healing these people. I really like when he healed the blind guy. And then he cries out. He expresses faith. How does Bartimaeus express faith? Three ways. Sorry, three times. Remember, three is better than one. First, he thinks he's in hearing distance. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. (laughs) That's expression of faith number one. They tell him to be quiet. Expression of faith number two. He gets louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. That's number two. And then Jesus says, bring him here. What do you want me to do for you? Expression of faith number three. I want to regain my sight. This whole time, Jesus is going, yes, yes. The Father in heaven's going. He's expressing faith. I'm so pleased. So, um, and by the way, this word crying out that he did, it's, it's not like a, the old days, the town crier or a, a sobbing. It's more, think, uh, a woman in labor screaming. When Denise was giving birth to one of our children, we were just so tickled when nurses came in and they're just giggling and giggling and giggling, the nurses. And finally, we listened enough that we put the story together and the lady in the room next to us was having a baby and crying a lot and screaming. And the doctor, who was behaving like a king, walked in and he goes, yeah, that's enough screaming. You can quit that right now. She looked at him and said, you can eat a rock, you know? And the nurses had never heard anybody talk to the doctor that way. And so they were just all giggling away that that had happened. But that's the crying out that Bartimaeus did. It's, it's a bold crying out. So if you remember when Doug talked to us about, hey, we need physical healing, how do we walk that path? 
Well, we believe that he can, believe that Jesus can heal us. Did Bartimaeus do that? Yes, he's heard all the stories, and, he's, and then he expresses it. He asks that he will. Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And then Doug taught us that we trust whatever he does. So let's think about this. Jesus said, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Okay. If Jesus says that, if we believe and ask, does Jesus got to say yes? He doesn't have to. In fact, very interesting the paragraph before the Bartimaeus story in Mark, I think Doug's going to teach it next week, so I've got to be careful not to spoil it. But in Matthew, Jesus said, hey, you 12 are going to have thrones in heaven near me. And the disciples got to thinking, like my junior high students, do you know what it means when you call shotgun? Hey, I got shotgun in the van. It means I want the best seats sitting next to the driver. Well, James and John, hey, Jesus, we want to ask you something. And here's his words. What do you want me to do for you? Exactly what he asked one paragraph later to Barnabas. Hey, can we have shotgun in heaven? And they're like, Jesus goes, no. But when he asked Barnabas, Jesus says, yes. So we trust what he does, and then we praise him no matter what. If we're in despair, is it possible Jesus is going to leave us there? Yes, because he doesn't have to answer yes, okay? But get this, get this. You got to hear this. Remember walking in faith, stepping out in faith is pleasing to God like Bill likes red meat, God likes when his children do it. Pleasing God is better than leaving despair. Pleasing God is better than leaving despair. So you just ask, believe what Bartimaeus did, believe and ask. You just do that. God's going, I'm so pleased. You might or might not get out of your despair. However, God's pleased, and that's actually more important, okay? So there might be people in this auditorium or in the North Auditorium that you're living in despair. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you have cancer. Maybe you have pain. Might be some problem. You're in despair. You're thinking, it can't get any better. It's not going to. Maybe you're in sin, and you're like, I've been in sin so long, and I have this sin, I keep doing it, and I memorize scriptures, I pray, I've gone to counseling, and, I, and eight days later, I'm back in that sin, and so I can't get out, and you're in despair. Maybe your salvation, when I was in sixth grade, I, I laid in bed at night in despair. If I die, I'm not going to heaven. So then I believed that God could, but then I asked, I went to my mom and helped me, and she helped me, and we asked and I became a believer, and my despair turned to joy. Oh, what a great, wonderful experience of God's love, grace, and forgiveness. But maybe salvation isn't just for yourself. Maybe it's for a family member or a friend. Maybe you're in a relationship with you and the spouse are just that venom. You're enemies. You're not allies like you're supposed to be. You're enemies. Or maybe with children, little children, teenage children, adult children, there's just friction. And you're like, I don't think it's going to get any better. Maybe your finances are like, we're so bad at finances. We're so in debt. We'll never get out. It's hopeless. Or maybe we try budgets and it never goes more than six weeks and we quit. Or we can't even talk about finances without a fight every single time. That's just an ingredient for making a fight. Just talk about finances. It's guaranteed to go there. And you're in despair. Maybe spiritual growth. I want to learn the spiritual disciplines, and I can't do it. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying, memorizing, meditating. I try, and it never lasts. Or 
For me, it was abiding. I wanted to learn to abide in Christ. And it seemed so distant. And it was such a slow process. But there was the despair. But finally, when the Lord gave me the opportunity to learn, and it was just it was as good as getting saved to abide in Christ. So, are you stuck? Just stuck? Leading in despair? Jesus says to you, what do you want me to do for you? If you were to have a face-to-face, knee-to-knee, toe-to-toe moment, you and Jesus, and he looks you right in your eyeballs and says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you say? I'd like you on your bulletin to go ahead and write that down. You're in, let's make it personal. If, if, if you're not in despair, you might be coming up with question, answers like, I want a winning lottery ticket or something like that. Just find it on the ground. But if you're in despair, you know. You know. It's clear. I want to regain my sight. So would you write it down? If you feel, if you've, it's not that you are hopeless. It just feels hopeless. Sin, finances, salvation, friends, family, sickness. Here's what we're going to do. It's family time. I'm going to ask you at the right time, if you're like, I am despairing, I feel hopeless, I, I know what I would say to Jesus, and you'd like to be Barnabas, not just believe, but ask out loud. When I say to, I'm going to ask you to stand. And then depending on how many stand, I might pray individually or I might pray in types of this topic and then this topic. Uh, But I'd like to spend the remaining minutes as a family having some people be Bartimaeus today. Now, what are we going to do in North Auditorium? I'm going to go away in the North Auditorium. Tony's going to walk up front and he's going to walk you guys through and be praying for you. So North Auditorium, at this point, you guys, I'm going to hand it to Tony. 